0: This one's from Matthew fourteen one 1-23. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds and after he had dismissed the crowds he went up on the mountain by himself to pray When the evening came, he was there alone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, oh, there we go.
1: Yay. Thank you. You can, do, you can serve me any time like that. That was great, man. He was doing makeup for me earlier. Um, but, yeah, so and this morning, I get up pretty early, and I went out, and my truck had been rummaged through. My, like, my doors don't lock all the way. I have this 06 Tacoma, and it's frustrating. And my favorite tools were stolen out of my truck. You know, just like, are you serious? You know, and, you know, obviously, my spouse didn't die. I'm not trying to even correlate. Just telling you, it's been that kind of week, just feeling that. And, you know, as I was thinking about our series coming to an end, Scott's back today. I'm going to preach today, and I'm going to end our service, our series next week, with my favorite text from John 21. You know, so please come and lean in there. But for here, I just, I wanted us to have a sermon and go to a text where we really got to see... How do we care well for ourselves in the midst of a hard, tough life, just in the midst of chaos, in the midst of your tools getting stolen or things happening around us, not even directly to us sometimes that can really wear us down. And and, you know, the text is it's meeting us right in the middle of our sermon series. But right. So it's remember we're on a series seeing, savoring and showing Jesus. What we've been looking at is that there are things about him that we want to see his works, his words. His ways, as we'll see this morning. But also, seeing what the text says is, is not enough. He, he, he has to go deeper. There has to be this savoring that happens. Remember, our, our, our text is 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, with unveiled faces, the veil's been torn away when Jesus died, right? The veil's gone. Or we are beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's, that's our theme text. So we want to see him. Take him deeper in to savor him. And then what we've said over and over is spontaneously, intentionally, we begin to show him, reveal him. And so this morning, we're going to go right back to those two places. I don't think I've left them. Seeing is our first point. Savoring is going to be our second. And, and i, I got to say, though, this text is a little harder for me to preach than the last ones because our first point is about seeing, but we're going to look at the ways of Jesus. And that's why we have this crazy text. And what I mean is, again, the words of Jesus are wonderful. In some of your Bibles, they're written in red, right? They're, they should be written in red. They are very important. We need to see them and, and learn them, memorize them, those types of things. And by the way, he is the word, right? We are to take him in. And then he does these incredible works. Like last time when I got to preach, remember the paralytic getting, getting lowered and forgiving his sin. And then take up your pallet and walk. His works. And today, we're going to look at his ways. That's why this crazy John the Baptist text is there. That's even kind of confusing. So I'm going to give you a little context with it to help us understand what's happening in the text. But then I want to look at seeing him and savoring him, and then we'll be done for this morning. But the context of this is this. So it's a little confusing. So Herod, at the beginning of Matthew, remember when Jesus is born and Herod wants to kill all the firstborns? That's not who this is. This is one of his children, one of his sons. And he he has divorced his wife and he married his brother's wife who divorced her husband. So it's like you know, Jerry Springer, live. Like it's some craziness. Right? And John the Baptist daily, he's he's in jail, but Herod has this strange relationship with John the Baptist. John the Baptist talks about him. He like, he says this, you cannot do this. Jewish law prohibits this. Right? And Herod he just takes it. Now, that's not in our text, but all of the Gospels have this account of, of, of this strange relationship between Herod and how he, he has this weird love for John the Baptist. There's something about him that's drawing to him. And there's some great sermons out there on that, on, like where we have this hope, and then that hope goes in the wrong direction. It can't, like, go, go find some of those. Those are wonderful. That's not what this is about. But he, he has this with John the Baptist, but his new wife hates John the Baptist. Her name is Herodias. She hates him. And so she devises this plan. Her daughter, Simone, is her name. We learn it from another text. She's probably 8, 10, 14 years old, and she does this really intimate dance in front of him and wins his heart. And it's anything you want, I'll do for you. Herodias is his head. Get his head. And you can see the sadness him. So that's that's what's taken place, and there's a bunch of gospels coming out in that. That's what's happened so far. And it, it happens, and you guys know John the Baptist is the precursor to Christ. The Old Testament says someone will come before him and he'll say, He's here. Get ready, he's here. And John the Baptist is that. And, and, and Jesus says about him, there's no greater man ever been born beyond John the Baptist. Like he's this great, incredible man, and now he's dead. And that news goes to Jesus. Now look at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. What did he do? Not the words, not the works. Look at the ways of Jesus. What did Jesus do when he heard his companion, his friend, had died? He got away. He pulls away. And then now the crowds follow him. Right? So he's meeting with the Father, the crowds come, the disciples are there, and all this madness happens where they're out there, there's all these people. It says there's 5,000 men, which means there's probably ten to 15,000 people out there. Crazy, right? Just so much to do. And Jesus, in another gospel, it says he begins to preach to them. He begins to give them the gospel to tell them about the kingdom of God, right? And so he ministers to them and all that, and then the disciples come and say, Hey, send them away. They have to eat. They've been in this place where desolate place. They can't provide for themselves here. They've been in this place. Send them away to go, to go get food. And Jesus says, no. You care. You do it, right? We'll get back to that. But then he feeds them. They have all these baskets. All that's happened. And now look at verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there you see it? Do you see the ways of Jesus, friends? Jesus has this rhythm about him. He's present, he pulls away. He's present, he pulls away. He has this rhythm of care for his heart to, to engage ministry and pull away, to fill himself up, to give himself what he needs so that he can engage again, to pull back again, right? And over And over and over, texts show this. Mark 1, remember it? Early in the morning, Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. John John 5, uh, excuse me, Luke 5, 16. He would often withdraw to a desolate place to pray. Jesus has this rhythm, friends. He has this way about him. It's not so much in his words or in his works. We see it there some, but in the way he lived his life, he lived in rhythm. Back and forth. Back and forth. And now, this morning, we read Genesis. Genesis 1. It was very intentional. Genesis is a lot about creation. But I want you to know when when Genesis was written. Do you know? It was actually when the people of God were in Egypt. Moses goes and brings them out into the wilderness. And now they're in the wilderness. And they've been in slavery 400 years. And now they're not a slave anymore. How will they live? How will they be different? And Moses... Writes them Genesis. The, the healing process begins. He gives them their story. That's what Genesis is, the story of the people of God. And, then, and you begin to see in Genesis 1, there was evening and morning, day two. There was evening and morning, day three. You know what you just heard, right? You heard what I always hear. There was morning and evening, day two. That's not what it says. There was evening and morning, day two. There was evening and morning, day three. And we read all the way to our text. He makes us in our image. Behold, it's good. And the last thing in Genesis, the last verse, there was evening and morning, day six. Then what's man's first day on earth? Day seven, his first day. What is is beginning to happen for these slaves who are the people of God? Here's your story. Here's who, who created you. Do you know what? You're not defined by what you produce anymore. There is a rhythm to life that I've created in you, I've given to you, and it's one that you will rest, there was evening, and then work. There's morning. You will rest again and work. And your first day, here, I want you to see me sit down and declare it's good. And then everything else you'll do after will flow from that day. You know that every year, the the earth goes all the way around the sun once a year. Every day, it turns on its axis. The moon up, down. Guys, it's as if there's this rhythm to life. And even you know how if I started like getting down up here, like me and Scott did that time, you know, like there's a rhythm, and if I'm not in that rhythm, you feel it, right? Or if like the bass misses it, you you feel when there's not rhythm. There's something about rhythm that God's created for us to live in. And when we watch Jesus, Jesus in who he is, he needs to live in that rhythm. He is modeling. His way is to find that rhythm, right? And so I want you to see this. The next slide, this. So this is physics. And uh, the guy doing the slides actually understands all this. I might t- bring Thomas. No, I'm not going to make you come up here, Thomas. But So this is physics, right? And if a wavelength is just going to continue on forever, the top has to be matched by the bottom. Now, that's your pastor teaching you physics. The top and the bottom have to match, right? Um, Sorry. But it's simple physics, right? And so here's where I want to start. The quality, the depth, the intensity of your work must be matched by quality, depth, and intensity of rest. You hear that? And really, I had one guy point this out because I I made this on the fly. I'm in the middle of making a resource to help us learn to rest well. He's like, dude, you started with work. I was like, oh, (laughs) dang it, (laughs) right? Um, Very astute, this, uh, this guy. But yeah, so the quality, depth, and intensity. You know what scripture doesn't say matches, though? Time. Six days you work, one day you rest is what we're given on the Sabbath. It's not time. It's not tit for tat in that sense. It's not, if I work six days, I need to rest six days. That's not how scripture works. It says there's a quality, depth, and intensity in our calling that must be matched with a quality, depth, and intensity of work. Now, look at our next slide. Unfortunately, this is what happens. I have no idea what this means. (laughs) He called it. What was it called, Thomas? Dampening. A dampening sound wave, right? I see a lot of (laughs) smiles out there. So here's what happens. So I I don't. I got this green thing, so it would go on there, but it's just not working. So um, I did think ahead, though, right? So look, when the bottom doesn't match the top, look at the implications. When quality rest, intensity of, of quality depth, intensity of rest, doesn't match the quality depth, intensity of work. When you go back to your calling, your parenting, your work. You don't go as high. You don't have the same quality, the same intensity, the same depth, right? And then you go back down, and then slowly you find yourself out here. I don't know if you can see it, but out here, right? This is what we call burnout. This is just that slow over time. So sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's really fast, especially if there's something of high intensity, high depth that's caused so much on the output and it's not matched on the input quickly. Burnout can happen just like that, right? I feel like that was my week in some ways. Guys, our goal is this. No idea what this is called. But I know that what Jesus models for us is a quality, a depth, and intensity with his Father that takes him to a higher capacity out. And, and you know our challenge, right? Jesus says, We will do greater things than him, friends. Greater. That that's in Scripture. We are called to greater things than our Savior did in the works that he was prepared for us to live out as his church. That's what scripture says. And so our calling has a high quality to it, a high cost. If you think about depth, a high intensity measurement, right? The intent, the cost of it, right? It has a high threshold that it's calling us to. Is our rest, is our care, the way The way we take in our father, is it matched in your life? Because I think that's what scripture is calling us here. And that's what we're seeing in the ways, the rhythms of Jesus. And and I will will venture to say, friends, that if you want to be spiritually mature, you have to learn to live in rhythm. You have to learn to see and understand your heart. And when it's really in a place, I need to pull back. Sometimes our rest has to be reactive. We can't see what's coming. Something takes a lot from us. Man, I need to, I need my father here. Sometimes it's got to be proactive. All the time, we hope, right? We don't know what's coming tomorrow. We prepare today. We get in front of the father today, ask him to fill us today, and slowly we find, what is that rhythm for us? What does it look like to live in that rhythm? What do we need in that rhythm, right? So we see Jesus this morning living in rhythm. And I think he's inviting us to a depth of maturity, to follow his ways here, which is to live in this rhythm. And now, we could stop here, right? And we could say, okay, Netflix, ice cream, you know, I'm going to rest. And we could say, okay, I'm going to make sure I'm resting and do these things and leave here and and really miss the point, right? Miss what's going on deeper. And I think that's why I chose this passage to really see, because I think there's something and the feeding of the 5,000 for us here. That maybe will speak to the rhythm that God calls us to and what happens in that rhythm that gives us that ability to have that greater depth, that greater intensity, that greater living into the quality of what he's called us to. And that's inside of our text here. But, you know, Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Remember this text? He trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out his roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in years of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Do you see the maturity in that? When we are planted by streams of water, our roots are in something that now what's above the surface doesn't determine our health. It doesn't determine how we're doing. And and so the rhythms give us that maturity to face whatever life brings at us. And as we go deeper now, how do we save room? What's in this text that takes us to that deeper place? And so it's just that in this encounter of the crowd, again, 10, 15,000 people. What are they doing here? We got to start there. What are those people doing out there? And I told you I would come back to it. Here's what they're doing there. Remember the text says John the Baptist, they think, That text, it it reads funny, but what it's saying is uh, Herod's like, maybe this is John the Baptist. And then it it does a flashback, and I don't know if you caught that. The flashback is, oh, remember, I had him in jail, and and then we beheaded him. But there's this person doing all this, and they uh, oftentimes believe that these ghosts would come back, and they would do these amazing things. So maybe it's John the Baptist. Obviously, it's not John the Baptist. It's Jesus, right? And so Jesus is doing all these miracles. He's doing all these works, and you know what people are starting to do? the king's here. It's time. Who, who's out? You, anyone seen Robin Hood or The Hood? Robin, you know, I love a good Robin Hood movie. There's like 80 of them, but I love a good Robin. And so who's out, who's out there, right? Who's out there hiding in the woods? It's revolutionaries. It's people ready. Let's get it together. Let's go. Let's take this over and do this. That's who's who's out there. And that's why it mentions these men in particular, particular, these revolutionaries who were, okay, Jesus, let's do it. You're our king. Tell us what to do. So that's the context of where we are. And Jesus begins to teach them about himself. You know, it's not in our text. I'm not going to go much there, but he begins to teach them from the boat. And you remember what his eyes say? It says Jesus, and it says this in Luke and John, it says he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because... They're sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion. So he felt their passion. He knows the desires going on inside of them. He knows the groans they are feeling. And he has compassion because there's no leader. There's no shepherd. There's no one caring for, for them below the surface here. No one really directing that passion and helping them live into it. So how will he direct it? How will he care for them? And I think it's in the kairos that we see with the disciples. Right, We used the word, yesterday we had a leadership training in here. It was really cool. You were all invited. Only about half of you came, but it was fine. No, no judgment here. We, we had a great training together, and we talked about Kairos. Our, our mission statement is joining God as family on mission for the renewal of all things. The reason we have joining God there is because we believe God's at work in your life. He's at work in our city, and he's invited us to work with him. He's invited us to do to be his hands and feet here to the world, right? Remember? You feed them. Jesus, send them away to eat. You feed them. Here's our Kairos, friends. Here's our Kairos. What is Jesus doing and saying, feed them? Now notice, maybe you're like me. I think the next statement out of Jesus' mouth is, you feed them, you idiot. Like, it feels like there's, it's pejorative, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, come on. You know, he never teaches. He never trains. He never corrects. He never makes a statement in correcting in any other way. He says, you feed them. And they say, all we have is five loaves and two fish. No reprimand still. No teaching. No direction. Nothing. That's all we have. And it's as if Jesus is to say, I know. Joining God. As family on mission. Joining, yeah, you bring your loaves, bring your fishes. But you know where we start? You can't do it. You yes, that's right, you can't do it. And this this kairos is for you. This setup is there's all these people to feed. You can't do it. Now, you might remember this story, but I'm gonna tell it again. Two years ago during COVID, when Lincoln, my son up here, when he we were hiking the waterfall, remember? And Lincoln fell off the waterfall about 40 feet, and he landed in a a foot of water, and he had a scratch on his knee, and it knocked the breath out of him. Guys, I don't know if you remember what I said, but we were in Chattanooga, and I was livid. I was so mad at God, trying not to show that to my kids. I was so mad. We were there to rest. We've been killing it, God. Are you kidding? Are you really going to allow that? That's how I felt, guys. And Lincoln falls off that waterfall when we're trying to rest. Oh, my gosh. I'm so and, – and guys, where do I turn? What, what do I do with that? And he's okay. That's more confusing than to fall. He's Okay. You know? And we get back, and we we're processing as a family. We're talking, like, do we take him to the hospital? I mean, he seems okay. Like, just all these things, and 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 God begins to do something in me. And and I'm telling you, this this weird piece that came from this statement in me, I, I'm completely out of control. I can't save him. I can't fix this. I can't keep my kids from falling. There is something that happened in me in that moment on that trip that I needed that I had no idea about, which was, I don't know. I submit to you. Where else do I go, Lord? You're in, you're in control. You do this. And the disciples, I think that's where he meets them. That's their kairos. You can't do it. But I, I'm inviting you to join me. Join me. Yeah, bring your fishes. And then tell them to sit down. And then I love how he says, it, Matthew's very intentional. He gives the food to his disciples, and the disciples hand it out. you see it? Just a little step in. How will this look? How is it going to look? You can't do it. You lean on me with what you have, and I pour forth through you. I bring forth the food, the things you need. And let me just just interrupt you with what Matthew's doing here. Matthew is all about the Hebrews. He's all about the Old Testament. And if we had been following along, you know what he's really trying to show them? is that you're the people in the wilderness. You're in the Exodus. We're out here in this desolate place, and there's Moses who does what? He prays, and manna comes down, right? And guess who Jesus is? Matthew wants them to see it. We have a greater Moses. He's the greater Moses. But guys, not only that, look at, look at our passage. Uh, no, it's not. I'm, I'm skipping around. I'm so sorry. I'm just into it. Yeah, it's, um, it's John 6. Yeah, right here. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see what Matthew's trying to show? It's not manna. And it's not something he's going to get. He is the bread of God. And right here, you're like, all right. How does this connect to our first point? Where's the rhythm? Let's look at verse 19. I think it was the slide before. Let's look at verse 19. Look at it, guys. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave it to the disciples, and the disciples disciples gave them to the crowd. What's happening there, friends? Do you see it? Do you see the rhythm? Taking the bread, he looked up and he thanked the Father. He broke it, and he gave it to them. you see what Jesus is doing, friends? Jesus is bringing out the rhythm. Do you know that every time he feeds people with bread, he uses those four words? He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it. What's the rhythm? What's the secret, friends? What, what's, what's he trying to get the disciples to begin to see that happens in the rest? Happens when you pull back and you're with him and he begins to nourish you. What goes in? It's Jesus himself. He is the bread of life. He's the, he's the true manna sent from heaven to you to take in. And connecting with him, listening to him, bringing him near, abiding in him is what our text is saying. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm. And so when, yes, the quality of depth and intensity of what we're called to, it's huge. But look at the quality and depth and the intensity of what I've done to give you that intimacy. He took bread. He broke it. He blessed it. He broke it. And And what happens in verse 20? They all ate and were satisfied. you see it? They satisfied. He, he feeds them on a soul level, and friends, rhythm work. We pull back, and what happens in here? What is it in the pullback? It's this. It's take, eat. It's take him into yourself. It's savor him. It's go deeper. It's feed on the bread of life, and he becomes something in us that's satisfaction, that's beautiful, that fills. And then now, look, look at John 1, 16. I love this This verse. I've been using it all week. Oh, my gosh, it's small. Oh, no, it's not. So from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You see it? Do you know Jesus doesn't need us? Did, did we all know that? He does not need us. He wants us. He loves us. And he has this fullness. And that's what's happening. He pulls back. His heavenly father fills him up. Filled. Filled. And then we receive here grace upon grace upon grace. Fullness, grace. Fullness, grace. You see the rhythm? And, and for us, fullness, now we go give it. Fullness, go give it. That's the rhythm that we're called to, friends, is this connection, this intimacy, this, this beauty, this depth with Jesus. They must go in and go deeper. So that we live into these things. Yesterday, we had the deacons up here, and they all went through and talked about the ministries they're called to. I don't know about uh, the rest of you. I was so moved. I don't think in the years we've been in this church have I seen that kind of quality, depth, and intensity of ministry, that specific of calling on this church. Am I right? It was incredible. How will we do that? He's got to fill us, friends. We've got to have that depth and that intensity with him. And so, what is it? How, how will we do it? I just want to, again, as our ministry season invites you, this is what DNA is about together. Disciple, nurture, accountability action. That's what those groups are for. It's for us to pull away and to get each other in front of Jesus. Because remember what Jesus says? Bring them to me. That's right here in the middle of the text. I've never noticed it till this morning. Bring them to me. That's what we're doing. That's what ministry is. We take people to Jesus. And, and and in that, DNA is one of the primary places we do that together in these gender-specific groups. And in our neighborhood communities, we do that together and do that for our neighbors and those around. And so I'm going to leave you there. There are many other ways to do it for the lack of time. We would love to continue that conversation with you to, to learn that. But, guys, could we get in rhythm with them? Let them fill us. Let them feed us, especially now as we go to the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so simple in some ways. But Jesus, if you needed these rhythms, how much more do we, and especially with the calling in front of us, Lord, to love our city, to love our neighbors, to love our spouses, our kids, all of this. Lord, would you meet us here in this rhythm, even now as we practice the table uh, more outwardly to literally your, your body and blood as we come and, and remember your body and blood being broken and shed for us. Would you meet us in that spiritual way to fill us up so that we can go and live into the things you've called us to? We pray now in your name. Amen.
0: Amen. So what we do each week as we uh, respond to...